one of the plant workers there uh, decided that they were, they were bored and wanted to watch some YouTube videos. So they tethered their phone uh, to this, you know, to this device so that they could give it internet. Mm -hmm. And almost immediately through uh, a phenomenon that's uh, referred to as uh, internet background radiation, um, where you have all these these bots and and viruses that are still out there, you know, old I love you viruses and stuff oh, like wow. that, that are just sitting on old computers trying to look for, you know, something to infect. Uh, they see this almost immediately. And, and all of a sudden, this thing is infected by multiple viruses. Mm. And it's calling out to people to say, hey, I got one. Come check me out. You can you can take control of this. Fortunately, we, we did have that cybersecurity software on there and our, our 24-7 SOC, a security operations center, immediately got that alert and called somebody and said, hey, we've got something going on. <laughs> you might want to check this one out. You're listening to OMAG All Access, a podcast about all things affecting municipalities in Oklahoma. Hosted by OMAG Director of Technology Services, Kevin Seesaw. So to shift gears a little bit, um, the what other examples of citizen-first technology? One thing, you know, we've seen this change through COVID, the shift to work from home, the need for people to be able to work anywhere, the fact that people are trying to find cheaper, more inexpensive places to live. Uh, at the same time, we're seeing a proliferation of high-speed, fast internet, for home workers. And I mean, I, I bring up this example because I think another potential way for cities to be smart is internet as a public utility. We actually have a few cities in Oklahoma that are doing that. You mentioned Ponca City, they're one right now. But it's another example where it's like, look, if even if we're a small bedroom community, you know, instead of letting our citizens get access to this from a big telco, this is something that we can be providing as a public service. But I think it goes even beyond that because now you're talking about getting into the communication business. That's that's a complex scenario. It is, but I again, I love the idea of a city saying, "Hey, we're going to provide bandwidth because it's a utility." Mm -hmm. And I'll go a little different direction. I think it's a digital divide issue as well. I think it is unfair to our poorer citizens, mm -hmm. our less well-off citizens that. They can't afford bandwidth or high-speed bandwidth. What broke my heart was during the pandemic, seeing the videos of the single moms with three kids in the back seat sitting out in front of a Starbucks for six hours. Just for Wi-Fi. Just to do Wi-Fi for homework. Oh, wow. Seriously. Right. And, and who is the city manager that is that city? Right. And, and are people having to do that in your city? So I think there's a digital divide issue around mm -hmm. bandwidth where cities should look to partner with some organization to help them put in, you know, bandwidth as a utility. Yeah. Uh, and there are organizations that will help you do it. Well, and there's a rural versus urban uh, component to that as well. I know Oklahoma's had a big, you know, rural brand, broadband uh, initiative for years for, you know, a very similar reason that, uh, yeah, it's easy to get access to high-speed internet in the big cities. And I think that that has actually started to change. I've been hearing from some of our colleagues that places like Stillwell have had gigabit fiber connections long before I could get it at my house here in the metro. And that's encouraging that we're starting to address that problem. Yeah, but that's a city leader, right? If we unpack that, we would find a city leader in Stillwell that made that a priority and made that happen. I don't think that was Google showed up in Stillwell and said, hey, let us drop some gigabit on you. We love the name of your town. Yeah. Right. 
I mean, it, local it, leaders working with local yes. telcos trying yes. to promote, yeah, yeah, better broadband communication. Yeah, because they, they they made that a priority. Yeah, and that ultimately contributes to economic development too. If you're attracting new people because they can work from home in your bedroom community, congratulations, you're growing and improving. Yeah, you're keeping organizations that build there, you know, startups that start in in Stillwell because they're not having to say, "Wow, we don't have the resources that we need to stay here." So how do cities address the risks? I mean, every single one of these things we've mentioned, whether it's smart water meters, uh, whether it's drones, I mean, crashing ultimately, but they all come with risks. Cybersecurity being, you know, near and dear to my heart. But all of this includes the idea that if we do this, what are we getting ourselves into? And, and I know there's a variety of ways to look at that problem. Yeah, there's, well, cyber is a risk. There's more risks than that. You know, uh, I think a city, I'll, let's come back to security here in a minute, but but let's just talk about a few other risks. I think that there's a complexity risk as you move more and more of automating a city to technology, you're creating more and more complexity that has to be managed and maintained. Right. And uh, because cities have a decent amount of turnover of personnel and can't always get the best IT people, now you're having to maintain that complex digital backbone that you're building, you know, uh, with people who sometimes are leaving. Yeah. You know, so there, there are some other risks uh, that I think come along with uh, technology. Um, another one we think about a lot is when you let a piece of software make a decision, sometimes you don't have human beings anymore that know how to make that decision. So if something goes out, you know, it's a problem. So like, the, again, let's talk about our, our, our water meters. When you had water meter readers, mm-hmm. what you might have is somebody who didn't show up for work that day, right? But they were going to show up two days later and you had two other people that were going to be able to go do it, right? So that was your biggest risk was somebody didn't show up that day. Okay, yeah. well, when it's all electronic, if that electronic system goes down, you're reading zero meters. Yeah, like zero, zero revenue. Zero revenue, <laughs> zero meters. <laughs> So there's a complexity issue with technology that I don't want to ignore Yeah. Uh, because I, I've had city leaders say that to me of, you know, today's got things are pretty simple and very human oriented. It's a person that has a responsibility. You know, my biggest risk is that person doesn't do something. Yeah, you, so, don't, you don't have to reboot carbon paper. <laughs> no, no. So, that, so that's a risk too. I think we got to acknowledge. OMAG All Access would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. For your time, we would like to offer you the chance to win a pair of OMAG all-access Bluetooth headphones. To enter, all you have to do is head to www.omag.org forward slash all-access and click on the corresponding image at the top of the screen. The password for each episode will change, so make sure you are always up to date on the newest episode of OMAG all-access by subscribing with your favorite podcast app. The password for this episode is Oklahoma. Follow the directions on the giveaway page and you will be entered. Good luck. You know, back back to security. Hey, there's no getting around the more things that you make electronic, you increase the attack surface mm-hmm. and your risks go up unless you have a commensurate ability to do risk control. You know, it, it, it's, I, I mean, I, it's like kids... Every time you have another child, the risk goes up in your life, right? <laughs> if you have seven teenagers, that's way worse than one teenager. I've, 
you know, it, there's no getting around that. There just isn't. I have one, and I can't imagine having more than one. <laughs> no, all right. So, so your only your only way would be to imprison all seven of them. You know? <laughs> so it's the same thing with digital. The more computers you have, the more laptops, the more bandwidth, the more software applications, the more cameras, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, when we've done some risk audits, you know, at cities, we've we've seen a lot of things like people buying consumer grade. Internet of Things devices, like consumer-grade cameras. Nest thermostats. Consumer-grade motion detectors that they don't secure. And then those things, you know, bad criminals are able to get to those things. So uh, I I think what I would tell you is you have to to bake in and understand as you grow your intelligence, you're going to have to make a commensurate investment in protecting it. And so maybe a way to think about it is, if you're buying a software application, it's going to cost you $5,000 and you got to buy a couple of computers. So it's $10,000. It's not. It's $10,000 plus 1000 a year to maintain it and keep it secure. Yeah. And, and you have to think of that total cost of ownership, right? That TCO and security needs to be factored into your TCO. That's a good point. So one other risk, and, and, and I've got to make sure to give you credit, you brought up innovation risk. The other side of this is not keeping pace with whatever, what citizens are demanding, what neighboring communities might be providing. And, and it's that essentially, well, this is too challenging. This is not something we have the money. This is a, a you know, we're not going to fight this battle while everyone else around you is moving forward. And, and I think that's, that deserves to be brought up as well. Yeah, risk people, like risk experts, when I go speak at their conferences, they will often talk to me about one of the most dangerous risks with technology is innovation risk. And and that's what they say is it, it's the risk of getting too far behind, getting too much technology debt. And there are some cities and towns where they seem to accept technology debt as, yeah, we're a city. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's just fact of life here. Government. Know? Yeah, that's how government. We don't have the best tractors. We don't have the best this. We don't, you know, we're not going to have the best technology. Uh, the the problem with accepting um, getting into technology debt, getting behind where you really should be, you mentioned two of them, which is constituents who are really unhappy. It was one of them you mentioned, and then the other one you mentioned um, oh, was neighboring communities. Yeah, yeah, competing communities. There's a third one I was going to bring up, which is team members. You know, it, sometimes to be able to get good employees and hold on to them, uh, they're going to want to be using good technology. And yeah. if they see that the city is the Flintstones, and I'm not asking a city to be the Jetsons, right? But if you're the Flintstones, a, a lot of people don't want to work there. Mm. They just don't. Let's go work at the career tech. Like, let's go Let's go work somewhere else where they at least have halfway modern technology. Why would we work at the city? And I'm just being real that there's a lot of towns where people are making the decision between the career tech or the city. Yeah. You know, and the career tech's got better technology. So... So I think that's another danger for cities is, yeah, you have you have this innovation risk. If you're not innovative at all, if you're not going to move forward and at least keep up with some level of standard, eventually you're going to pay a tax on that. You're going to pay a price for that technology debt. Well, I, I think that's helped. I mean, I, I certainly know, I don't think we've got any uh, cities and towns that are going to be the, the, the shining one in China. Um, Shanghai, was it? Xingdao. Xingdao. Okay. Yeah. But uh, the fact that we do see a lot of progress is very encouraging. And I think in Oklahoma, we've got a lot of good examples of where there have been some deliberate decisions made to improve citizens' lives using technology. And 
they need to start calling themselves smart. They deserve it. Yeah, I agree. I guess my my kind of final word on this is, you know, if you're listening to us now, and uh, you know, let's be part of the solution. And I think the action item is every city, every town, I don't care the size, needs to have a vision of what they're going to do with technology. You just need to have a vision. It costs you almost nothing to have a vision. Now, you can hire a consultant to come in if you're a larger city and pay them $20,000 to build your vision. Or you can just work on it, you know, with the people that you have, right, to create a vision. And, and pick pick some points in time, like five years, 10 years. And what, do, what would we like to accomplish at five years, 10 years? Document that vision. Have a good reason why you want to do those things with technology. Mm-hmm. And then back into how do you fund that? But don't don't do it the other way of saying, oh well, how much money do we think we can come up with? Don't don't do it the other way. Create the dream first, and then back into all right. What are some ways that we can fund this dream? And there are ways that you can fund the dream, but you first have to be able to see the vision and be excited about the vision. So if you're listening to us now and you can play a role in helping to create that vision, make sure it gets you know you're sponsoring it at your city or town, man, get on it. Yeah. Somebody's got to have a dream. Too much of uh, government IT is reactive, and, and we've all got to change that. So, Yep. Well, Scott, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, for all of our listeners out there, thanks for being smart. This has been the OMAG All Access Podcast. Great to be here, Kevin. Thanks. We hope you can take something away from this podcast that will help your city or town. You can find more information about OMAG on our website, at www.omag.org or on our Facebook page. Thanks for listening. If you have questions or ideas for a podcast topic, please send them to allaccess at omag.org. On the next episode of OMAG All Access. We went to what's called a progression system. So basically, the, the employees get to whatever that, that top um, Tier of their pay structure was uh, in a shorter amount of time, hopefully to help retain them. So adjusting the pay structure to be a little higher, reducing the amount of time it took them to get to that top end of that, you know, implementing some incentives, you know, to hopefully attract people to come to the industry, you know, not only that, but to retain the ones that we have. This episode is copyright OMAG 2022 under the Creative Commons 4.0 Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives International License. For more information, please visit creativecommons.org.